Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We're going to use this episode as a post-game show for our Device Talks Boston meeting, which happened last week in Boston. We recorded a lot of this episode uh, at the end of last week, a few days after the event. So you'll hear from executive editor Chris Newmarker, senior editor Daniel Kirsch, and associate editor Sean Hooley. Uh, They'll share their takes on the Device Talks Boston experience. And a little later on, we will hear my keynote interview with Eric Benjamin. He's Executive Vice President of Innovation, Strategy, and Digital Products at Insulet. He opened up day two, and we had a great conversation about uh, Insulet, about Omicron, and uh, about where MedTech is headed in uh, in relation to consumer tech. So great, great conversation with Eric. Very grateful that he came down. I also uh, I wanted to take this moment to thank all the companies that helped make Device Talks Boston possible. Uh, the sponsors I've mentioned, but they're they're an integral part. Does not happen without happen without them. But uh, we had so many of our medical device community step up and uh, contribute great content to this event. We had presentations by Abbott by Boston Scientific, by Corindus, by Depew Synthes, by Medtronic, and by Stryker. They actually put on full presentations. They had great speakers come down and uh, talk about elements of their business. And uh, each of the sessions were jam-packed. So I know their efforts were well rewarded. And uh, again, I'm grateful for them for contributing their conversations and their thoughts Grateful to all the other companies that have provided speakers, uh, too many to name. We had over 100 speakers there. Grateful to MedTech Innovator. We'll talk about them a little later. But uh, this really felt like a community effort, and uh, I still have uh, great feelings walking away from it. So thank you to everyone who participated and who contributed. It uh, it does not go unnoticed uh, on this end of this event. It does not happen without the MedTech community. So thanks to all who were there, and thanks, of course, to all who uh, who said hello who were attending and stopped and said hello and uh, told us if they were enjoying the show or not. And I'm happy to say most of them did. Before we begin this episode, though, a few important notes. We have a Device Talks Tuesday coming up on Tuesday at 4 p.m. It's called The Future of Digital Case Support, a Teleflex Case Study. It's a conversation between Teleflex and Explorer Surgical. We'll have founder and general manager of Explorer Surgical, Jennifer Freed, on, along with Mark Bolton, who is Senior Clinical Affairs Manager of Interventional Urology at Neotrack slash Teleflex, now Teleflex. And uh, they'll have a great conversation as to how Teleflex is using Explorer Surgical Technology to uh, help its sales teams to ease communication. So definitely check that out. You can go to devicetalks.com to register. Explorer Surgical, of course, is now a GHX company. And I have a second piece. And unfortunately, this is a bit of bad news. We have decided to postpone Device Talks Minnesota. Uh, There was a feeling that the numbers were not where we wanted them to be to make it a robust event. So we will uh, give it a full court press in 2023. We are working on Device Talks West. That's happening on October 19th and 20th. That'll be in Santa Clara. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for uh, updates to that agenda. Actually, I'll put up an early agenda probably in a month or so. We have some keynotes up there already. Uh, You can go find all of that at devicetalks.com. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to uh, bring in our episode sponsor, Deep Dive. I'm speaking with Bill Park, the CEO of Deep Dive. Bill, tell us about the origins of Deep Dive. Hey, Tom. So Deep Dive, we're a technology company based here in Silicon Valley. 
We were started by two scientists uh, who had gotten their PhDs at Berkeley and joined startup biotech companies in the Bay Area and found that they couldn't have easy access to scientific papers, at least not easy that was also affordable. So at Deep Dive, we created a platform designed specifically for scientists and small to medium-sized organizations. They give them a one-stop platform to access and manage all their scientific literature. We'll hear more from Bill Park a little later in the podcast. If you want more information about Deep Dive, you can go to deepdive.com. That's spelled D-E-E-P-D-Y-V-E.com. And we'll have some information for you a little later in the podcast about how you can get a free trial. Now, let's begin this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, man. You know, it's been a week. It's yeah. been a week. It's been a week, and the whole gang is here. We have yeah. senior senior editor Daniel Kirsch. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Tom. Again. Yeah, we just I know we just saw each other two days ago, and here we are on the Zoom call again. And we have associate editor Sean Hooley. Sean, welcome. Thank you very much. Happy happy to be here. Yeah. How are we all feeling two days after uh, Device Talks Boston, which was an enormous success? How, 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 where is our energy level at? Sean, uh, uh, one to five, five being Sonic the Hedgehog, fast kind of kind of stuff. Speaking your lingo, right? You're a Sonic guy, I imagine. <laughs> I, I, you know, believe it or not, I used to be. So sure, we can. <laughs> <laughs> where is your energy level at? I would give it a 2.5. Whoa. Considering it was a negative three the other day. Uh, <laughs> feeling pretty good. Well, as well rested as can be. And Danielle, how about you? One to five. Uh, I'd say about the same. I was able to take a nap yesterday right before I went to bed. So. <laughs> <laughs> All of those pre-naps, pre-bedtime naps are always helpful. And Chris, you're still a young man. How are you feeling? Yeah, you know, I... I'll go with them. 2.5. I'm drinking another cup of coffee right now. Maybe I'll get up to three. Uh, you know, it's it's I finally had a good night's sleep last night. I had a I managed to have the airline flight from hell oh, that's right. twice, like that's right. to Boston and back. Like I just it just was, you know, delightful. But you were you were Dorothy um, Newmarker. You were just getting spun around by tornadoes. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, especially on the way back, we had a nice tornado warning in Minneapolis. So I got to, you know, travel down to Madison. And then, you know, after refueled, we headed out to Sioux Falls and followed the (laughs) storm from behind, you know, so I I had two experiences of dragging myself into like where I was going, like, you know, like one, two in the morning. But, you know, hey, you know, got a good night's sleep. And I'm still, you know, I have to say of all the things like, you know, those both of those airline flights, I they were I after all that, I still think it was, you know, it was worth it to be a Device Talks Boston. I'm still like, you know, feeling the glow from just like what a great show that was. It was, no, just, it was. just awesome. It was a ter- terrific show. The three shows combined uh, had close to 3,000 attendees. I think we were 50% over our last show in 2019, 50% attendance. And uh, man, it was just great to actually see folks in, in person after connecting with them on Zoom or hearing them or talking to them for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it felt almost like a, a reunion of sorts, which is kind of what I was 
felt it would be like it going seriously in. was yeah. even for our team i mean we you know we saw each other in minnesota last year but i mean i haven't sean and danielle i mean i haven't seen you in person since the pandemic started so it was it was really great and uh you know you know glad we got to like you know hang out together in person and um you know i uh, i got to find out remind myself again that you know lobster rolls in boston um really are a lot better than, than Minneapolis. <laughs> so That's not probably, lobster they're giving you in Minneapolis, guys. Yeah, I, I probably not. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> no, it was, it, it was great to see, uh, to, to, to get the entire MedTech gang together. And I think people were very kind with their comments about what we're doing here with the podcast and with our efforts over the last two years to keep people connected. I heard a lot of great thank you. Thank yous. And I know there were some, some, some fans out there, Sean, you, you, you got the comment. What was it? You're, you're younger than you sound. Was that the, the I, I was, I was told uh, I was younger than expected, but <laughs> that, that was, it was just nice to be recognized for the occasional appearance. Tom, you were, you were the star of the show. Everyone, uh, Yes. Everyone was oh, praising no. you. It was, it was, well, Chris Newmar, I think someone came up to you and said, what are the newsmakers this week, Chris? And you're like, I don't know yet. It's only Wednesday. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm busy covering a show. So. <laughs> but that was awesome. That was, yeah. It's great. It's great that people are enjoying what we're doing here because we we clearly are. And uh, I mean, I was I was at awe at your fan club, though, Tom. I mean, gosh, the Tom. Tom Salemi fan club. I mean, uh, I'm, bl- I'm blushing. Yeah, you're, you're just. This is not a Zoom I, filter. And now. when you arrived there, it was like the Beatles. It was like the Beatles <laughs> in '65 all over again, man. It was like- That's right. That's right. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, well, anyway, well, thank you to everyone who did uh, say hello to us uh, and stopped us to say hi. Uh, it was very energizing, despite our, our, our two to three energy points. Uh, yes. That's what kept us going, I think, just just the, the friends, the friendly faces and the uh, and the connection with folks. So thank you to everyone who did reach out. And we uh, can't wait to get the whole gang together as well. Yeah, it'll be great. And when so when is Device Talks Boston next year? We're we're all set to do this, right? That's right. We're doing this. Save the date, May tenth and eleventh. All right, happening same days. Well, same dates, different date. You know how the calendar works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. We all are. But uh, May tenth and eleventh at the BCEC. So folks should uh, should certainly save the date. And uh, promise we will do everything we can to make it bigger and better than this year's. And that is uh, that is saying something. So, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Onward and up there. Be there. Be there. Be square. That's right. You're already already calling him out, Chris Newmarker. I like it. Be there. Be square. That's right. That's right. A lot of cool people in Boston. But anyway, we had a lot of news as well. Uh, So we're going to dedicate this week's newsmakers to the news that came out of the stocks, Boston. Uh, Sean and, and, and Jim Hammerand and, and Chris, I believe you sent some content out. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got some articles there. Uh, some articles we'll, we'll, we'll sort of identify the top five. Uh, lots of love on LinkedIn, which was fantastic. It was great to, to, uh, to reach people outside of the conference. And uh, we'll go through the top five newsmakers that have been, that appeared on the pages of Mass Device and our other pubs. And, uh, and then we'll all kind of choose our one or two personal newsmakers uh from from the conference things that so that's a, that's the amazing thing we i i see the great content coming out that uh, you that you all wrote and then i just know how much more there was you can only write so much oh, right? yeah yeah so it was like a fire hose of yeah. of like information like some like really cool stuff coming out of the conference yeah so if you're if you're following the conference through our pages you're getting as good a glimpse as you're going to get but it is a glimpse it's just yeah. a fraction so if you have a slight feeling you missed out <laughs> yes, yeah, so Amanda De Palma, uh, one of our uh, our sort of advisors, she helped she helped with a lot of uh, recruitment of speakers. 
but was not able to make the event. And she posted on LinkedIn that she was getting some serious FOMO, which is the, is the kindest thing you can say to, uh, to a conference organizer. So uh, there was some fear of missing out. So I hope people don't miss out next year, May 10th and 11th. Now let's take a break from this podcast to bring back our sponsor, Deep Dive. I'm here with CEO Bill Park. Bill, how does Deep Dive work with the medical device industry? The medical device is one of our largest sectors because it has a lot of the characteristics of where there is the market need. Uh, these are these tend to be small to medium sized organizations, even startups, where it's there's a need for a really diverse amount of research from engineering, applied materials, and and high tech type of uh, research all the way into the life sciences and, and into the biology and, and chemistry and other related subjects. So they really represent, in some cases, the real sweet spot of need, where there's a diverse set of researchers that need a diverse set of journals. And to try and pay for all those journals individually would be just the, the cost would be exorbitant. Further to that, because these are organizations that are R&D driven, there's a really strong need for the researchers to be collaborating and organizing the work that they do together. And so our sweet spot really are not just med device companies, but also just any organization that has a strong emphasis in R&D as part of their lifeblood and strategy. And typically our clients range from anywhere from 20, 20 employees up to a thousand. That's that's the, those seem to represent the companies where there's a strong R and D intent, uh, but where they may not have quite the scale to get access to all the literature that they may need. In our next and final interview with Bill Park, we'll hear how Deep Dive can help researchers and R and D folks collaborate. If you'd like to find out more about Deep Dive, you can go to deepdive.com. That's once again spelled deep d y v e dot com. And if you'd like to try Deep Dive out, go to this website, get.deepdive.com backslash device talks. So once again, it is get.deepdive.com backslash device talks. And again, Deep Dive is spelled D E E P D Y. VE. Go to that website. You can sign up for a free trial with Deep Dive. What is number five on your vaunted device talks? Boston's new markers, newsmakers list. Well, you know, number five on the list, um, you know, we originally um, were going to have uh, Insulet CEO, Shacey Petrovich, uh, speak at the flo- at, at the show. But, you know, she, you know, she had changed her plans at the last minute because she's planning to plan to leave the uh, the company because, you know, she, you know, has, um, you know, has to, some things with uh, with family she needs to she needs to focus on. Um, but, um, you know, the person they, they sent her instead, Eric Benjamin, executive vice president of Innovation. Innovation and strategy um, uh, just just gave a really good good talk of you know where you know where the company is going and you know what what you know how and especially because he's in charge of you know of a product development to a degree at the company he's got a good uh, a really good view of like you know where we're going to see you know the the Omnipod technology out of Insulet involve and and you know Sean Sean you know covers this space a lot more than I do at this point and you know wrote an article off of. Uh, off of his talk, I mean, Sean, what were uh, I mean, what were the biggest takeaways that you got out of that? Yeah, the the biggest takeaways were just obviously the Omnipod Five that was cleared by the FDA earlier this year. It's the latest generation of their technology, and basically the way he described it as far as product development was just how can we simplify this to the point where 
the user needs to do as little as possible to get their insulin delivered. And so it it was interesting to hear it laid out in that way. And uh, also to hear him talk about how it's a, they, they meet at Mm -hmm. the intersection of consumer devices and medical devices. That was my, my favorite quote from the, from the chat. And I know Tom, you, you hand, you, you did the interview. So maybe I can kick it to you to hear what you thought about it too. But that, that was the most interesting was he said, we live at the intersection of consumer technology and medical technology. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at your, your LinkedIn post with the photo, which by the way, I didn't realize I was showing so much leg there. So I'm sorry, (laughs) folks. My my pant leg had ridden up a little bit. You're going to get longer socks, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) By by the way, I, I sent the photo to Jim Hammerand and he said, you look like Tony Stark. Nice. (laughs) I like that. I will take Tony Stark. Are you Iron Man, Tom? I am Iron Man. But the the quote you had uh, is, uh, well, I remember I asked him, are are you now kind of moving from medical devices into consumer devices? And he said, they are medical devices. They are also consumer devices. We live at the intersection of those two things. Diabetes is such a personal experience and decisions are influenced by the care team. But the ultimate choice is made by the person with diabetes. That's central to how we think about it. So uh, I think insulin is just a great example of of how medtech is becoming uh, more personalized and, and more patient-centric. Yeah. And uh, it's exciting to see where they're, where they're going with, with insulin, but also I was actually unaware about their drug delivery deal with Amgen. Uh, for another space. So they're, they're looking into other drug delivery as well, which, yeah. is, which is fascinating. One of those so that, situations when you ask a question and he said, well, I'm sure, I'm sure you're aware. And I was, no, I wasn't actually aware of that. <laughs> I, I had, had a lot more, of moments in the show. I was like, I didn't, I didn't know that. Now I know. Yeah. yeah. But Eric, Eric Benjamin was, uh, did a great job uh, kicking off day two. We're grateful for yeah. his, uh, his willingness to come down and uh, take Shacey Petrovic's place. And uh, as I think we've said before, we wish Shacey Petrovic well. Uh, she's a, a force, and I'm sure we'll we'll be uh, seeing her running another company in the not too distant future. Yeah. All right, Chris, what is number four on on this amazing list? Well, you know, number four on the list, uh, I I got a quickly uh, got a story posted off of uh, the uh, you know the day one keynote opener, you know, from uh, Harvard's engineering uh, school uh, dean. Uh, you know, Frank, uh, Frank Doyle, um, which, and then thanks to, uh, MDO managing editor, Jim Hamran then for, you know, taking the, you know, taking the audio, getting a transcript, like fleshing this out, you know, so it was an even meatier story, uh, later in the day, we, we really had a awesome team effort. Like, I mean, we were, and that's something I haven't seen in other, other B2B media companies that were doing well here. It's like, we had a show, we were getting stories and content out as the show was going on. We don't wait a few days. We get the news out and we were posting stuff on LinkedIn, but, um, you know, Doyle's talk, I mean, it was, uh, just, just really, uh, fascinating. I thought that, uh, I mean, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the phrase he had was that, I mean, I mean, Harvard's actually had an engineering program, you know, since the early 1800s, but he called it kind of like a well-kept secret historically. And Harvard's really upping the game in that school, like over the last decade. I mean, they just got a half a million square foot new science and engineering complex up. Um, and this was news to me. I mean, the news was out there, but I hadn't known of this was that uh, they're they getting a little, uh, they're getting some Facebook money or, you know, actually meta, yeah. meta num money i guess you'd say now no, that's, almost, that's almost a tongue twister meta money but we had a <laughs> you know, there was a, a, a half a billion dollar gift from priscilla chan and mark zuckerberg uh for a uh, institute that's going to be uh studying uh you know the uh, human brain and drawing lessons from uh, the human brain in order to um boost artificial intelligence and you know the, the engineering school 
has a really good med tech focus. I mean, Doyle himself was an artificial pancreas pioneer. Um, so, I mean, I think that those AI insights that are going to be coming out of that institute, I mean, it's, it's work studying the brain to further AI. And then, you know, that AI is going to be, um, you know, boosting uh, medical technology as well. So, I mean, I... Uh, yeah, we actually... Uh talk to a fellow I'm drawing a blank on his last name. His first name is Nikki. He listens to the podcast and he lives, uh, he travels around Asia. So he says, if we get plays from distant countries, it's probably him listening to the podcast. But he had pointed out that uh, Harvard's medical school already has a biomed program. But uh, what I, the last point I took away from Frank Doyle's talk with Peter Stebbins, who had been on the podcast a couple of times was that, they're, they're really trying to align the engineering school with the medical school uh, and, and, and share resources. And really, they, they definitely see what Stanford is doing, although they wouldn't use the word Stanford. They didn't name it by name. They definitely yes. see what that university in Palo Alto is doing as a, as a, as a model for where they want to be. So, Breaking uh, down exciting. silos and collaborating. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It'd be nice. You'll have, I mean, yeah. Great. Yeah, no, it would be great for uh, for future device talks, Boston's to have uh, to have a, a source of entrepreneurs and startups coming from uh, the uh, Harvard Paulson School. So, looking forward to that. All right, Chris, what is number three on this new marketers newsmakers list? Well, you know, number three on the list. I mean, we we closed out day one with a uh, you know a, a talk from a whole host of uh, striker leaders, uh, you know, about you know how they see the company innovating and where it's going and. Uh, I mean, what, I mean, mean, you know, our Jim Hammerhand again, you know, like he's out in Seattle and he was, he he wrote a nice collection of like highlights from that, uh, that talk. But I mean, what, I mean, what stuck out most to you, Tom? From that talk that Spencer Styles could have my job in a second if you wanted to. (laughs) And he was, that he's very good at moderating, but, but that's not, that's not a surprise. You can't, you can't do what you're doing, not be good at uh, leading conversations. But I was, I guess the, the comments by, uh, Dave Lively of Vasera, sort of coming his coming in from a, a, tech, a technology industry, and 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 drawing uh, comparing that to to his experience at a med tech company, and just the, his comment I think the, that made a lot of people chuckle was at some of these larger companies if you're if you're an agent of change and you're you're trying to to ultimately change how they're doing business by bringing in new technology that you're almost there's he said there are antibodies in all big organizations that attack you like you're a virus and try to slow you down and stop yeah. you and you need to work toward moving uh moving against that and and and, and defeating that and the takeaway was that striker while committed to change uh still like any big organization has some some momentum that needs to be shifted in a, in a different direction. So, uh, so it was a, a very, I thought, good and frank conversation about what they, where they've been, and what they now have, and, and where they're going to go. So, I thought all of the panelists did a great job. Yeah, I think it just shows the strength of a company when you know the people, people inside can be, uh, you know, can have like a, you know, an honest take of like, you know, what what's going well, what's not. You know, they've got that confidence. That's that's really uh, really awesome. I, I I was struck by you know Robert. Cohen, the president of Strikers Digital uh, Robotics Enabling Technologies Organization. I mean, like, yeah, he had one quote that just kind of drove home, you know, kind of that that change that we're seeing in the medical device industry right now. Like, where it was like, Strikers no longer just a metal on plastic in a box type of company, and you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. really true. I mean, you're not just selling devices or implants anymore. Um, you're really like trying to have offerings that are really offering this whole host of products and services to better, you know, treat you know, different conditions. So I think, uh, you know, I, I thought that was 
that was really useful. And, um, and I, I was, I was struck by, uh, you know, Tracy Robertson, their VP of digital was really, you know, driving home that, um, you know, cybersecurity is an issue, which I'm frankly, I don't think mm-hmm. has been taken seriously enough yet in, in the industry. You know, it's uh, we, we write scary cybersecurity stories on, on mass device and the clicks just don't happen. Like people are like, ah, you know, so, yeah, there's hackers out there. I know, but, um, you know, she was, uh, you know, Tracy was even, you know, saying that, that what's going on right now is going to lead to more government regulation, you know, because, you know, because it's, uh, you don't, you don't want somebody, uh, you don't want ransomware on your pacemaker. You don't want right, right. You don't want to be getting ready to go under the knife to have your knee, knee replaced, and you know the the uh, the, uh, the 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 robot you know shuts down because you know because there's you know some hacker shenanigans going on. So, um. and then the, the the final panelist was uh, Siddharth Satish. He's vice president of digital innovation for Surgical Technologies, and uh, he had been part of Gauss that was acquired, and that's using AI technology to examine uh, uh, like. Would they, would they be sponges in the, in the OR that, that absorb the blood and they can sort of determine how much blood has been lost during a procedure? Yeah, that was and, fascinating. He said there's a little bit of AI almost in every part of our business. I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty wild. The machines are taking over, Tom. <laughs> can we blame them? Yeah, so, right. <laughs> but great job by Stryker. Really grateful that they uh, filled that final keynote slot and it was uh, really well attended and, and, and really should have been because it was a fascinating conversation. All right, Chris. What is number two on the new markets? Yeah, number two on the list. Um, this is this uh, is uh, you know another really good article from Sean. How technology is changing the operating room, and you know, tell tell us a little bit about what you found out at the show. Uh, it's a good segue from the last one because uh, Siddharth Satish was also on this panel uh, talking about Goss, uh, which he founded before Stryker acquired it, and and it's uh, real it's real time monitoring for blood loss using an iPad as the hardware, and so that was kind of the. The, the conversation was about, you know, this mix of hardware, software in the OR. There's a lot of talk about sort of a uniform uh, manner in which to, to approach it and how everyone needs to understand uh, how this da- – it's not just about compiling the data in the OR. It's about having sort of a, a means to an end for that data. Uh, it was a really interesting panel with uh, Proxmi CEO uh, Nadine Hashash Haram, Active Surgical CEO Todd Yusin, Satish, and Avail Med Systems CEO Daniel Hawkins. Uh, Bill Benton moderated it. And yeah, it, it, it was really intriguing uh, just the conversations about where data goes and where they see the future of the OR going and how, how vital you know these sort of – uh, improvements in technology are going to be in like Usin uh, g- gave one of the quotes I like the most, which was data is only good as the insights that are derived from it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought that was the biggest takeaway was that they, they, they want a real application of the data. It's, yeah. it's, it's so great to be able to have this technology in the OR, but what you're doing with it is really the, uh, the most important thing, which seems simple, but as they explained it, it was not as simple as it would be on the surface. Yeah, one of the, the 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 tragedies of planning a conference like this is you organize all these great panels and you're excited to 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 hear them and then you realize the week before when you're assigning rooms and you realize you're moderating a session <laughs> in another room at the same time this panel's having like oh no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna see this panel I wanted to see Chris yeah. your 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 atrial fibrillation yeah. panel I missed that. Uh, I missed a lot of the show <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it just makes me it, sad. It was hard writing on this panel because it was, you know, 45 minutes, hour long conversation and, you know, trying to boil it down. And essentially there's a lot more that they talked about that, uh, you know, I couldn't squeeze into an article without making it a, a book. So, yes. Yeah. Right. 
You don't want to break the internet for sure. If uh, if you weren't there, you missed a lot. That with the supply chain panel that I moderated was fascinating. Uh, we'll talk about Chris's field ablation uh, model in a few minutes, but a uh, lot going on that we're not going to uh, hit upon in this top five. We had great sessions put on by Medtronic, by uh, Corindus, the health and ears company, by Depew. Their, their session was, was packed. Uh, we'll talk about Abbott a little bit later, uh, Boston Scientific a little bit later. But uh, so many, uh, so many great sessions and uh, and presenting companies. So I'm grateful to to all the medical device companies that that stepped up and uh, and really contributed some uh, some fascinating and important and valuable conversations to uh, to Device Talks Boston. Hey, are we ready for number one though? Number one, we are ready for number one. I mean, number one on the list is uh, the uh, the MedTech Innovator Pitch Contest. I mean, man, that uh, that just that, I mean. I, I, that took device talks Boston to a new level. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. I, I mentioned on LinkedIn that uh, when we were planning, actually, when I was playing device talks, Minnesota, my first call went to Paul Grant because I wanted to get MidTech innovator involved. This was in 2020. And then when that went south, we moved it forward to our first event, which I'm glad was in Boston because it was a perfect fit. And you're right. They brought not only great energy, but great, uh, great companies to present. They brought great, uh, the judges were, were, uh, senior executives at medical device yeah. companies. They came and they were down on the exhibit floor, sitting on on large round tables, uh, interviewing uh, each of the startups. And uh, it just brought, I get like you said, another level of of energy and enthusiasm. And I think just really is a different perspective. Uh, these were these were mid stage companies. These were not early stage startups. So these were companies that right. were legitimate that were had money to spend. And uh, I think our our Vendors on the exhibit floor, our sponsors in the exhibit floor appreciated it as well. There was, a, it was a, every time I went to the exhibit floor, there was a lot of energy, a lot of people walking yeah. around. Uh, yeah, the so. fact that, yeah, there were a lot of people walking around the expo floor. Like, you know, we, uh, I mean, I, I think between, you know, this podcast and, you know, MedTech Innovator, um, you know, we we really had a nice large crowd of, of industry insiders from the big companies, you know, mm-hmm. there. And, you know, and then having that combo of, you know, having people from these younger companies there. And, you know, then we had that whole supplier ecosystem there on the exhibitor floor. I mean, man, we just, we just brought it together. It was, it, I, it was the best device talks Boston ever, you know, at least as far as audience and content, it was, it was the best ever. I mean, so, so, and, and ultimately the winner of the pitch competition was that we, have we reported on that yet? Yes, we did. I'm well, we've, you know, actually, uh, uh, Jim, uh, Hammerand is, is getting an article about out about that today. Um, but, um, you know, we, we had the news out right away on uh, LinkedIn, you know, around the show and, you know, we, uh, the winner was, uh, well, I mean, this was really what was fascinating too about this. I mean, this was an intense competition. I mean, they started out with like a thousand applicants. I mean, they were doing like pitch rounds over and over and over. I mean, they whittled that down before the show and they were doing pitch rounds over and over, and over again. And then we like, you know, right near the end of the show, we had like four finalists, um, you know, deliver their, their final pitches in front of the judges, get questions by the judges, you know, uh, audience vote kicking in. I mean, man, and all those four companies were all, I mean, they all were like legitimately like, wow, there's, you know, there's a need here. There's a market. This sounds like really interesting technology. I mean, one that didn't win for, for crying out loud, had an experiment that was going up on the International Space Station. On, wow. You said on Musk's rocket, like it's going to be like a SpaceX rocket taking their experiment to the space station, you know, and, and you know, they, they didn't win. I mean, that just shows how amazing these technologies were. And then, you know, the winner was... Uh, 
you know, was a, uh, you know, company called the uh, Derma Sensor um, that has kind of like, you know, this sensor you know, doctors can use to, uh, you know, better Scott, you know, spot like skin lesions that might be uh, cancerous, which is, you know, could, could be a huge benefit because, um, you know, uh, you know, when you go to a primary care doctor, I mean, they have, they know how to spot a skin lesion that's potentially cancerous, but not to the level of somebody who's a dermatologist. And so for, so for them to have that extra help, you know, to find, you know, those potentially dangerous skin lesions and then forge you to a dermatologist who could, you know, you know, really, really figure out, you know, whether, you know, you're in trouble early. Um, I mean, that could, I mean, that, that, you know, technology has a lot of potential. Um, you know, it, it said something, I posted a, something on LinkedIn right away about them winning the competition and somebody who, you know, had lost a, a mother to skin cancer, like, uh, you know, commented right away and was mm-hmm. like, I, this, this is a really important technology. Um, Danielle, you were, you were, uh, there in the first, uh, the first session, I think, when MedTech Innovator opened up, it seemed to be a jam-packed room throughout. How was uh, how was the opening session? Uh, yeah, it was good. There was lots of good conversation, and of course, just like a, a lot of our other panels, there was it was it had good attendance. So it was it was cool to just see it progress throughout the show, and then you know go to the pitch competition at the end. So. No, excellent. Well, we're we're very happy to have MedTech Innovator as part of the show, and uh, we're we're. Hopeful that, and I think they're planning to be back uh, at Device Talks Boston next year. So uh, looking forward to that. And we're here again with Bill Park. Bill, I know Deep Dive has been called the Spotify of research papers, but you've mentioned how Deep Dive goes far beyond just providing information as Spotify provides music. Tell us a bit more about what Deep Dive is able to do. What's changed for us in more recent times is that as we've uh, as that database has grown today, it's over 25 million papers, over 20,000 journals. Uh, the only way to access these journals in this type of fashion would be to pay and subscribe journal by journal, which for any you know small to medium sized organization, it, it would be out of the question for them. What's changed for us is that as we've begun working with more of these organizations, particularly some of the larger ones within our within our portfolio, the need for workflow has really become pronounced. That what we were finding is effectively each scientist was doing their research almost independently, even though they were part of a team. Mm-hmm. They were reading papers, taking notes, organizing the things that they were doing all by themselves. No one else in the, in the team had any real visibility into what else was being read, what else was being searched on, what notes were being taken, you know, what tags or sort of metadata was being added to an article. Where was that article even being stored? And so as a result, there was a lot of waste. There was a lot of waste of buying multiple papers, reading the wrong paper, or the waste of opportunity and not knowing that there were these insights being captured by one scientist that were not being shared to the rest of the team. So last year, we took what was this Spotify database and we basically expanded it into being not just a database, but really being a platform, a one-stop cloud-based platform for scientists to log in and to then access and also organize and collaborate all around the literature all together. It was taking what were a lot of independent individual activities and putting that all into one platform where people can now work together. And I would say that the change and and how clients have been referring to Deep Dive has gone from being Spotify for research. Now it's sounding more like Salesforce for research, more of this CRM equivalent, all for researchers and scientists. Fantastic. Bill Park, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Deep Dive, for sponsoring 
Once again, if you'd like to try out Deep Dive, use this special URL. It is get, so G-E-T dot deep dive dot com backslash device talks. Once again, that is get dot deep dive dot com backslash device talks. And again, deep dive is spelled D-E-E-P-D-Y-V-E. Check it out. It's very cool. Now I'd like to queue up our day two keynote interview that I did with Eric Benjamin. Eric, again, is the Executive Vice President of Innovation, Strategy, and Digital Products at Insulet. Thank you for coming down. Thank you for having me. It's Pleasure. wonderful to be back in the vibrant Boston area med tech community after doing all these things on Zoom screens. Yeah, right? No, I know. It's been uh, rather surreal to, to see people and to see how they measure up to their screen images. Like, oh, you're taller than I thought, and you're shorter than I thought, and you're exactly what I thought. So uh, it's been fun confirmation. But uh, so I normally like to start these conversations learning about a folk, someone's path into, into med tech, and I do want to get there, but uh, let's just clear the issue. Um, Chasey Petrovic, your CEO, announced last week that she was going to be stepping down to, to tend to family. Uh, if you could shed some light on the decision, but more importantly, I'd like to sort of understand what the impact of, like that, of, that, is, of that sort of news is on a company and, and how you move forward from there. Yeah. So look, I think one of the things that made Chasey an incredible leader for insulin and a passionate advocate for people with diabetes is that she lived her values. And, uh, you know, so of course we're saddened to see Chasey move on from insulin, but we also have to celebrate the choice that she made. You know, she wants to give 110% to whatever she does, and there were people in her life who needed more of her than she could give while she was leading us. And so she made that choice. And we're also thrilled that we're going to be joined by Jim Hollingshead starting June 1st, who's been on our board helping shape our strategy. I know Jim very well because uh, we've collaborated over the last couple of years on our innovation roadmap and uh, corporate strategy. And he's going to be a phenomenal leader for Insulin. And you know, we have an incredibly exciting 2022 and many years ahead, and Jim's going to help us execute on that and keep going. That's great. Now, Chasey clearly brings great energy to, to Insulin as CEO. I'm curious, how, how, does a C, how does the CEO's sort of uh, feeling of what a culture should be, how does that take root in a company? And does that sort of remain the same when they move on? Uh, or do you expect there might be some changes to culture just with someone new at the helm? Yeah, you know, Tom, it's a great question. Culture is multifaceted, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's contributed to by so many parts of the organization. You know, the one thing that is singular about Insulet, that um, every new employee, everybody who comes to visit our offices that probably came through in the video, is just our incredible passion for improving the lives of people with diabetes and our mission focus. And, um, you know, Chasey brought her energy to that in her way, and Jim's going to bring his energy to that in his way. But it's really something that we all live and that we all embrace, and that's not changing. You know, that's, that's the passion that it takes in order to build something like Omnipod 5, and it's been in Insulet's DNA for 20 years. And so, you know, leaders come and refine it slightly, um, but I think, you know, we, we continue to build on our strengths uh, in, in, from a culture perspective to keep improving the lives of people with diabetes. I think everyone in medtech, I should hope most people in medtech, come to it with a level of passion to, to, to help patients to develop products that, that, uh, that 
make people recover from injury or, or disease. Uh, Diabetes is no exception. What I think is exceptional about the diabetes space is that the level of energy that comes from the patients themselves, how engaged they are. Every time I post about a diabetes company, I don't just hear from folks in the industry. I hear from patients who are listening to my podcast or our podcast who are following the news, who share news with me that I didn't know, or you should ask about this or you should ask about that. What's it like working in a, in a space where uh, the people you're serving are, are so engaged and interested and in, in, in educated on, on what you're doing? Another great question. So, you know, I started my career uh, in coronary devices, okay. uh, drug-coated stents, and uh, I've, I've connected with that mission. But it's, you know, almost an order of magnitude more at a place like Inslet for exactly the reasons that you're describing. You know, it, we all hear from our users. Many of us listen to calls with our customers. And, um, and it helps, you know, keep all of the decisions that we have to make totally front and center from, you know, whether we're making business decisions, innovation decisions, it's part of what contributes to the DNA of uh, a place like Insulet is that we are all even closer to the people we serve as a result of that engagement that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, I hear from our users on LinkedIn all the time asking for product features and asking me when they're going to get things. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it helps humanize what we do in a way that we all appreciate. Um, but when there's not an HCP or there's not a surgeon or there's not another um, professional between the product and the end user, um, you know, it just brings it home in, in ways that are truly unique in diabetes. That's great. Now, I want to explore that. And I, love the, I love the impact that social media has had on what you do, but also on all of us for the last two years. I mean, it's been a lifeline. Zoom calls and LinkedIn have kept us all going. But uh, let's delve a little more into your, your path. Uh, how did you find your way into the medtech industry? What was your first, your first entry? Yeah, so my first entry was into uh, drug-coated stents. Mm -hmm. So I came straight out of college. Like lots of folks in college, I had diverse uh, interests and um, you know, it was actually a mission that grabbed me. You know, I was looking at, uh, I was an engineer by training, was looking at consulting jobs, high-tech uh, banks, and, you know, went for an interview with a little company called Guidant that uh, these days few people have heard of, and was struck in my three interviews with them that, you know, these are a bunch of people who really care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what they're doing is also really cool. And, uh, you know, so a couple hours later, I decided, okay, I'm going to go into med device. I don't know what that is, but, you know, like anybody coming out of college, I'm going to go do that. Um, and it was a great journey. Uh, you know, one, one funny story, I, I, began my, uh, I began my career sort of orbiting manufacturing, you know, R&D process development, quality manufacturing. And I actually met my wife uh, in a clean room where we were gowned uh, head to toe. <laughs> so this is, this is the early days of drug-coated stents where, uh, you know, Guidant hadn't figured out what we needed yet to um, keep our employees safe or to, uh, you know, keep the quality of the product. And so we overdid it on the gowning. So we were all wearing but full bunny suits. So, oh, it was, so it was not love at first sight because no, you really didn't. No, it was not didn't. love at first sight. <laughs> it was, you know, sort of a, a true test of some of the other elements that turn out to be enduring in a long-term relationship <laughs> on collaboration and communication and other things. So That's outstanding. Uh, it's, it's a running gag of mine. Every time I talk to someone who worked at Guidant, I mean, Guidant had a special culture. Maybe it becomes more special over time because it's not with us anymore. But uh, I've never found anyone who has nothing but glowing things to say about the, the time there and the things they've learned. Any, are you, you going to be the exception to the rule? I'm not going to be the exception to the rule. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, 
it, it was a very special place, and as I said, I, I think in many respects, like Insulet, you know, uh, it just grabbed you. Yeah. It just grabbed you that this is a place of people who care, and Insulet has exactly the same effect on people. You know, when, when people come interview with us, when people walk into our offices and see pictures of potters like we just saw in that video, it just grabs you that this place is different. This is, this is a group of people who really want to make a difference in the world. So do you really use the term potters every day in the office? Is that the term for, for users? Yeah. Yeah? That's great. Yeah. I don't know if it was a... That's who, that's who they are. Yep. They'll, they'll, they'll self-describe uh, as potters, and uh, you know, we call them potters. It, that's, that's, that's great to, to give them that, uh, that, that, that connection to your, to your product. What was your int introduction to, to Insulet? Uh, there were some folks who I'd worked with at Abbott who'd found their way to Insulet, and they knew that I'd uh, moved to Boston from the West Coast, and they called me up and they said, you know, Eric, we're at this little company, this is seven years ago now, we're at this little company, um, and you won't believe what they do. They make Swiss watches that we have to be able to make at a cost that users can afford to throw them away every three days. Do you want to come join us? <laughs> and I said, that sounds nuts, but <laughs> yes, I do. Um, and you know, anybody who you know is a uh, a serious engineer who's taken apart a pod, um, it's a little bit love at first sight. You know, there's just an extraordinary amount of technology in every pod. And you know, when I when I first got acquainted with it, and I looked at what the team had done, you know, and this was seven years ago, it, there's an extraordinary amount of technology in the pod, and um, you know, it was a whole journey to design it. It was another journey to learn to make it at scale uh, and you know, produce it at the quality levels required to serve our potters in the way that they deserve. And so, you know, anyway, I, I got acquainted with Insulet, fell in love with the technology and the mission, and the rest is history. Let's, let's give a little product overview of Omnipod 5 for those who may not be familiar with everything it can do. Uh, what is, what is, how does it function? Tell us, tell us a bit about the product. Yeah. So um, I think most folks probably know there's about 2 million folks uh, in the U.S. who live with type 1 diabetes and another 2 million or thereabouts um, of folks who live with insulin-intensive type 2 diabetes. And um, you know, those who live with either of those require insulin th replacement therapy in order to you know, meet their basic metabolic requirements. So the standard of care today, 100 years after the discovery of insulin, remains multiple daily injections. So most folks who live with diabetes are injecting themselves three to five times per day. In addition to that, they're making something like 300 decisions about their disease every day. So they're trying to decide what's going to happen to me if I exercise. What am I going to go low if my if I go um, you know speak at a conference? And, I was going to say what, what, and, and gets and gets stressed. You know, high or low. Depending. What would your your thought process have been before coming up here? Do you think is if you were to have diabetes? What what would did I did I eat this? Did I am I? Yeah, uh, you know if, if I. If I were a person with diabetes who had been sort of planning to come and speak here, I would have been thinking hours ago, what am I going to eat this morning? Yep. What am I going to need in terms of insulin on board? Where are my rescue carbs in case I go low and need some uh, glucose right before I'm going to get on stage? Definitely be careful with the coffee because you know, that could spike my blood sugar and I could end up uncomfortable while on stage. You know, it's just a constant overhead mm -hmm. people with diabetes are managing. And, um, and again, folks with, folks with insulin-dependent diabetes don't have a choice. They, have, they, have, they need insulin. And so, and again, standard of care is three to five injections a day. And um, 
Omnipod solves many of those challenges and dramatically reduces the burden for people with diabetes. So the pod, which you saw in the video, is a small, um, small device, a little smaller than a box of Tic Tacs, with an adhesive pad on the back. It can be worn anywhere that you'd take an injection. Um, automatically inserts a cannula, virtually painlessly, and then it delivers background insulin, and users interact with it with a controller, now with Omnipod 5 on a compatible smartphone. And it, it eliminates three to five injections a day, takes care of many of those decisions that we were just talking about, and that's Omnipod. Omnipod 5, which you saw in the video, takes all of that to a whole nother level of simplification. So with Omnipod 5, it's the world's first tubeless automated insulin delivery system, which means it connects to a continuous glucose monitor and personalizes therapy in real time. Mm -hmm. And it's also the first uh, automated insulin delivery system that can be fully controlled via a compatible smartphone. And so two huge sources of burden. The first, thinking about what's going to happen to uh, blood sugar, that's automated with Omnipod 5. And the need to take out and carry a separate device also gone because folks can use a compatible smartphone uh, in order to control the system. So it's you know truly an extraordinary technology, and you saw you know the smiling faces in the video. The feedback in our first few months of launch has been extraordinary. What are the considerations when you're developing a device that can be controlled by the patient, by the user? We had a conversation yesterday, different product. It was a, a heart pump and LVAD, and the, the surgeon on there said that, you know someday we'd love to get to the point where you could almost adjust it uh, so these were young kids who had the pumps, but they could get more blood when they needed it. And it, that was certainly more problematic than what you're talking about, but it feels like we're crossing a threshold where you're giving the control of a device over to the patient. What, what goes into that design process and into that thought process? Uh, what sort of safeguards do you have to consider? It just it, Again, it just seems like a whole new uh, dimension of design development. Yeah, it is, is the short answer. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and there's a couple of things that are required to do it successfully. And, you know, I'd say the first comes back to the DNA of the organization. The, the DNA of the organization has to be ready to truly design for users to meet those requirements of both safety and ease of use simultaneously, giving up on neither, which is a challenge. And the second is a whole bunch of capabilities that um, are kind of new to medtech. Uh, you know, as we think about the convergence of consumer tech and medtech, um, there are there are a bunch of tools that our uh, consumer tech peers have learned and refined over the last 20 years that medtech now has to borrow and adopt in order to you know create really elegant user interfaces that are going to be easily understood, easily adopted, and not confusing to users. And so, you know, when we think about it, we're fortunate we started with the DNA, right? It's been in Insulet's DNA for 20 years to assure that we were going to develop an easy-to-use device that mm -hmm. produces burden. Um, and then we made an enormous investment in capabilities in order to, you know, study user behavior and understand if Tom picks up this device, how do we make sure he's not going to give himself twice as much insulin as he needs? Is that because I screwed up in the laptop? Is that why you're bringing that up? Uh, no, no judgment in this conversation, Tom. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we all make mistakes with technology, right? But in our case, when those mistakes happen, there are health consequences. And so, um, you know, we, we, we invest probably dramatically more than folks who aren't operating at the uh, user interface, the, meaning the end user, the same way that we are. 
you know, we invest dramatically in understanding user behavior, human factors, engineering, design iteration. We, we test with hundreds of users. We go through tens of design iterations on every element of our design. And we prepare to iterate as, as we go, which is all a little different than how kind of classic med tech mm -hmm. uh, innovation happens. What does that engagement look like? You talked earlier about the LinkedIn comments. I think that's great, but that's obviously not what we're talking about. Do you have, talk to, talk to us a bit about the process of engaging uh, patients in a systematic, measurable way so you can walk away with the information and data that you need. Yeah, it, it happens actually all through the design life cycle. Uh, you know, if you think about, we do very early user research where we, you know, we'll produce sketches uh, of here's how we think this thing is going to work, and we'll go find people with diabetes and see how they react to, you know, sketch one versus sketch two and three. Um, then we'll refine those, and we'll actually build out a user interface and build, uh, you know, sort of looks like prototypes, and go test those with tens of users to begin to understand user behavior mm -hmm. in the technology that we're making. Um, you know, we'll then commit many more resources to actually develop those into a usable product and continue to do, you know, more formalized human factors testing. Um, again, on each element of the user interface. And um, you know that's the sort of process side to it, but the the culture side to it and the DNA side to it is if you think about a product development effort, there are almost always forces that want to add to a product. You know there are there are um, marketers who have great ideas. There's feedback from consumers. There's people writing to me on LinkedIn who are asking why they don't have this feature yet. Mm -hmm. There are all these forces that want to add. And culturally, you just have to have a very clear vision that the answer is less is more. Right? What people want is the device to do the job for them. And so we keep iterating and we keep, you know, frankly, removing things until we have the simplest to use device that uh, meets all of the requirements that nobody's going to get confused and therefore nobody's going to hurt themselves. How do the engineering teams interact with that information or with the data? I guess I've, I've imagined in devices that engineers would very much work with them by themselves as a team, but without sort of direct input from users, be it surgeons or physicians or patients. Are the engineers at Insulate, are they, do they have a direct connection to the patients themselves or are they just seeing data? And, and how do you ensure, I'm sure they just want to do a good job, but it must be challenging to, 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 to have an idea that you're working on as an engineer and then have this input of data coming here that makes you change your mind and you're sort of, how do you, how do you ensure that they work smoothly with the, with the input that's coming from those studies? You know, a, a big part of it that's actually simulated use, you know, and again, I think this is somewhat unique in products like ours, but most of our engineers wear the product over oh, the course of development. And, you know, they see when things work better or less well, they experience it. Um, and, you know, that's a huge, it's a huge help in, you know, providing empathy to what users are going to experience. It's a huge part in just understanding the design that they're working on. And it's a huge part of providing context for the sort of data that you're describing. So, you know, that's probably the single most important thing that we do is very early in development, we'll get an integration of the device together and our engineers and our product teams will wear it and begin, you know, experiencing what works, what doesn't, what do we need to refine. And we'll do that, you know, as many as half a dozen times through a device iteration with different, you know, chunks of functionality that are kind of ready to go. The other thing is, um, 
you know, we look for opportunities for our teams to go connect with the community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've had folks go to camps, we've had folks go to um, children with diabetes in order to get the appreciation for, you know, what it's like to live with diabetes. And our teams actually really appreciate the opportunity to do that, again, sort of coming back to our mission. Um, so both of those, you know, are more important than one might think in helping the whole team get their head around what it is that we're trying to do. The other, the other thing that's unique um, and has been really fun to see with Omnipod 5, with Omnipod 5, we get uh, data pushed to our cloud every five minutes from the device. Mm. So we get um, a huge amount of insight into both user behavior and how well the system is working from a uh, therapy perspective that we're able to learn in real time just like consumer tech companies. And again, that's something that's sort of brand new in med tech too, is the ability to learn not just in the micro by studying user behavior, but learn in the macro by absorbing large volumes of data and preparing for future iterations of the product that are going to be even better. So we do all of those in order to keep refining our devices. What, what does that data look like that's going to the cloud? Is it a measurement of, le of uh, levels within the patient? Do you, do, you, do you have some capacity to also measure behavior at the time, what they're doing, what their activities were? Uh, yeah, so we have, you know, we have the basic therapy and information. That data is critical because we actually develop digital products that we serve that data back to users. Uh, you know, again, this whole concept of uh, burden, one of the burdens that parents in particular live with, with diabetes, is that they're very uncomfortable sending their child with diabetes into new environments. Sure. Um, you know, even school can be a very scary place mm -hmm. for a parent uh, of a child with diabetes. And so, you know, we've developed uh, a companion app, what we call our View app, which provides real-time data to authorized caregivers to see what's happening oh, wow. on, uh, on a user's uh, AID system. And um, we actually, that product's been on the market for a couple of years with Omnipod Dash, with Omnipod 5, because every controller has a SIM card in it. The utility of that will go up significantly. Um, you know, so that's one thing we're able to do with the data that's coming back, is provide visibility back to loved ones. Um, you know, the other, we do actually also get a fair amount of insight into user behavior with the device. And so we're able to therefore improve the device and our engineering teams are constantly analyzing that data to figure out how we're going to make Omnipod 6 even better than Omnipod 5. Do you internally still, do you see your Omnipod 5 in future iterations as a medical device or something else? Uh, they are medical devices. They are also consumer devices. Yeah. You know, as, as I said earlier, we live uh, at the intersection of those two things. And you know, as we've talked about throughout this conversation, diabetes is such a personal, um, it's such a personal experience that the choice ultimately, it's influenced by the care team around the person with diabetes, but the ultimate choice is made by the person with diabetes and their family. And, um, you know, and so, that's sort of central to how we think about it. Interesting. So your, your primary focus, I believe, has been on type 1, but you're moving more into type 2. How different are those two populations, and how different is your approach to, to reach them? Yeah. We've had, um, it, it's, a, it's a great question. The, the short answer is, um, as I said, 
you know, at the beginning of the conversation, there are about 2 million folks in the U.S. who live with type 1 diabetes mm -hmm. and about 2 million folks in the U.S. who live with uh, insulin-intensive type 2 diabetes. And, um, and so we see it as a real opportunity. And you know, I think like most great innovations, uh, our interest in type 2 diabetes sparked with just a very genuine market insight, which is that we had uh, you know, feedback from the field that folks were prescribing Omnipod. And this, this predates Omnipod Dash. This is our uh, original Omnipod. Folks were prescribing it for folks with type 2 diabetes and getting great outcomes. And so you know, we saw a few of these. And we took the insights back and said, oh, that's really interesting. Um, we began to learn more. And, um, and so we actually did the work, all the design work that I was describing for Omnipod Dash to assure that it would be ready for type 2 diabetes. Um, today, about 35 to 40% of our new users are folks who live with type 2 diabetes. And that's because we have terrific access. The products. What was that number again? 35 to 40% wow. okay. of our new users are folks with type 2 diabetes. And, um, and it's for a handful of reasons. You know, the product works really well. You know, folks with insulin-intensive diabetes, they need insulin, just like folks with type 1 diabetes. And they, they're looking for a solution that doesn't add burden to their life. So you know, what, they, what they don't want to do is go take three to five shots a day. Mm. What they don't want to do is go you know, wear a belt-worn pump and have a tube attached to them. But they do want an elegant solution like Omnipod that's going to get them the insulin they need so that they feel better. And um, so we've actually had terrific success with Omnipod Dash. Uh, the outcomes, we published real-world evidence on the outcomes, which are terrific with Omnipod Dash. Uh, and we recently, just at ATTD a couple of weeks ago, uh, published very strong preliminary data on Omnipod 5 uh, for, in folks with type 2 diabetes, which, again, has us incredibly excited about bringing Omnipod 5 to that population, too. I was just to say, look, the last thing I'll add, you know, it's a funny case back to the design point where um, we actually learned a lot about building simpler devices by designing for uh, uh, folks who live with type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. you know, I think what, um, what had happened to some extent in uh, you know, type 1 diabetes is folks don't have a choice. You know, everybody who lives with type 1 diabetes must get insulin. And, so the products were a little complicated for a long time. Omnipod, a bit of an exception, but in general, insulin delivery products were a little complicated. When we started working on type 2, you know, we had this incredible focus on simplicity. And what we learned is that helps. Every, everybody who lives with type 1 diabetes wants the same thing. Do the folks who treat people with type 1 diabetes also treat type 2, or do you have to go after primary care patients? How do you, how do you let patients know, or potential patients know, or customers know, or users know, or potters know of Omnipod? It's uh, a bit of a mix. Um, there are certainly, there are more folks who live with type 2 diabetes that are treated by primary care, whereas uh, the preponderance of folks with type 1 diabetes are treated by endos or diabetologists. Um, you know, you may know, we're, we do quite significant direct-to-consumer advertising, again, mm -hmm. another of the ways in which, you know, we're both a consumer product and a med tech product. And a lot of the folks who've uh, learned about Omnipod and gotten started on it are folks who learned about it through our direct-to-consumer advertising, saw it and thought, that's going to change my life, and went and found us. And that's, you know, been happening and accelerating for the last couple of years. And it's working. I don't think we talked about this in our, in our call last week, but uh, what, do you, what is the reimbursement situation like for Omnipod, and, and how active is, is Insulet in 
helping patients get that. Yeah, it's, it's been increasing both access and awareness has been a huge focus for insulin. We, are, we have terrific coverage, and it's actually one of the reasons um, that, both, um, that uh, we've had so much success in type 2, that 35 to 40% of new users that I described, um, is that we have you know, coverage for nearly everybody. Um, there are pretty few barriers, functional barriers, to access in the pathway because of the pharmacy channel. So again, somewhat unique about our product relative to others is it's pay-as-you-go. You know, we will give folks a 30-day trial that they can try the product, and if it works for them, then they can go to their pharmacy, get a script, and keep using it for as long as it works for them. And in general, the out-of-pocket costs for that are very low, something similar to multiple daily injections, which would be the, the alternative. What are the, the sources of, of innovation for, for new iterations of Omnipod, and how far out do you have this mapped? Are you set for the next five years, or is it put one out, collect data, put the next one out, collect data, and so on? Yeah, there's a fair amount that we're going to do to Omnipod 5, uh, and then you know we certainly have line of sight to what's coming thereafter. So you know, in terms of expanding the Omnipod 5 platform, today we're partnered uh, with our partner Dexcom's terrific G6 continuous glucose monitor. We've already spoken about our efforts that are underway to uh, connect Omnipod 5 to both Dexcom's next generation G7 sensor and Abbott's Freestyle Libre platform, which are you know, critical programs to help ensure the broadest possible adoption of Omnipod 5. Um, we'll be bringing Omnipod 5 to the globe, which is uh, an exciting opportunity for us. And we'll, you know, we're also going to be doing uh, a huge amount of work to ensure that as many smartphones are compatible with Omnipod 5 as possible mm -hmm. so that everybody has the magic of a fully smartphone-controlled device. In addition, you know, we spoke about the View app. Uh, there are also a number of things that we can do in providing data and insights back to users to help take some of the other burden off of living with diabetes. And so we'll be building around the platform in that regard, too. So we see you know, a huge amount that we can build on Omnipod 5 from a platform perspective. As we look beyond Omnipod 5, you know, there's, there's really, it's not that complicated. There's sort of two dimensions of things that people really care about from an innovation perspective in products like ours. They care about the physical experience in which Omnipod stands unique as you know, the only pod-based insulin delivery system. And they care about how easy the experience is, which is dominated by the amount of automation that the experience provides, but also just how, how easy it is to get started, how easy it is to maintain, you know, that sort of stuff. And so you know, we think about those as the two primary drivers, right? How do we keep improving the physical experience, and how do we keep enhancing, meaning reducing, what users have to do to live with, uh, uh, to live with diabetes? And, and the incredible thing is, as transformative as Omnipod 5 is, we see you know, at least a decade of transformative uh, innovation ahead of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, the reason for that is we're only at a, about a third of folks who have adopted technology like Omnipod. And you know, we're going to keep driving the, the uh, automation. We're going to keep improving the form factor. And we've got a long way to go to help everybody find a fully automated system. So as you're moving out to connect Omnipod to the different cell phone platforms and such, I'm, I'm curious as to what's the profile of, engineer, of the engineers you're looking to hire? Are they coming from the metal device industry, or are you drawing just as much from cell phone companies or, or 
to other tech companies? Where, where, where do folks come to, to Insulate from? Yeah, it's a, it's a terrific question. We've built an innovation center in uh, Southern California uh, and more recently actually in Mexico um, that ha has a world-class team of hundreds of software engineers. Mm -hmm. These are folks you know, whose other jobs would be Google, Apple, uh, yeah, Indeed, uh, LinkedIn. You know, it's all the companies that you'd think of. And um, you know, we're fortunate we've attracted uh, a spectacular team. And it's actually it's our mission that helps us do that. You know, it's these are folks who whose normal career path you know might be thinking about something else, but we introduce them to Omnipod and what it, and Insulet and what it is that we do and the opportunity to change lives. And you know they're really excited to come work on very hard problems. Um, you know, it's also there are interesting practical uh, considerations associated with putting those talents together. You know, in general, those those folks have not worked in safety critical environments. Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of um, work we do to help them get used to that. Um, but it's been you know a really fun journey to you know bring true tech culture, tech capabilities into Insulet and see it thrive. Have you had trouble drawing talent? Yeah, you know, look, it's a really competitive talent marketplace. Um, we have not had trouble. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, we have such a compelling value proposition and such a strong mission that actually people love coming to work for Insulet. We've, we, we have attracted talent from um, just about everywhere and kept terrific talent uh, despite you know, the challenges of the last couple of years. Great. I wanted to explore your your title a bit. So you're Executive Vice President of Innovation Strategy and Digital Products. You, we just named that uh, two months ago, March? Yeah. What is uh, that, that Innovation Strategy and Digital Products, three big words. Yeah. What, are, what is your focus and, uh, and, and what are you in charge of? Yeah, so I lead product development, uh, strategy and corporate development, and our um, business unit that uh, builds digital products and thinks about how uh, broad-based digitization in healthcare is changing business models and how that might affect insulin. And how do you, what do you see happening in that last part? Because that sounds really interesting. They all do, but... Yeah, look, when we think about um, digital transformation affecting medtech, you know, we, we think about three big categories, right? It's personalization of therapy. We've talked a lot about that already with Omnipod 5. Omnipod 5 is true personalized medicine. It's data and what can be learned uh, from data, how data can improve technologies, and how data and insights can be provided back to users to reduce burden and improve care. We've talked a lot about how Omnipod 5 is doing that, too. The business model piece we haven't actually talked about, but it is, it's happening already and happening everywhere. Um, some of it is happening now, and there are uh, in big ways, and some of it we're just seeing the start of. You know, the parts that we've seen already are um, the digitization and transformation of core business operations that would have been done one way and that are now done digitally. So, you know, we train everybody who starts on our products, for example. And until three-ish years ago, that meant we had to have somebody physically go meet every one of our new users in order to train them on the product. Mm. We now do that through a digital pathway, with the impact being functional access has improved, because somebody who wants Omnipod somewhere that is nowhere close to one of our trainers can get it, and they can jump on a Zoom call, and we can teach them how to use Omnipod very successfully. 
Um, with Omnipod 5, you know, we've transitioned to uh, automatic self-serve benefits checks where people can actually go check their benefits online and in many cases get started on Omnipod um, if they're current users via an entirely digital pathway. And so, you know, we're already seeing some of the core uh, elements of our, uh, of our business and medtech businesses like ours be transformed. You know, as we look ahead, we, we see some other forces that will have longer-term implications. You know, you see telehealth uh, becoming uh, another way, another uh, another way that folks are going to get access to care in places that they might not have had it. You know, we we talked earlier about access and awareness. In the case of diabetes, ten years ago, if you weren't near a world-class center, you didn't have access to the best technology. And telehealth is actually a way to improve functional access so that everybody who wants technology like Omnipod can get it. Um, you know, and, we, and we see also programs popping up, uh, leveraging telehealth and other digital tools to improve access and get technologies like Omnipod into the hands of people who really need them. And that's what we think about, is what that future looks like and how we assure that we're positioning ourselves to make Omnipod available to everybody who needs it. Is Insulet a diabetes product company only, or do you see yourself being more than that? Is this a platform that you can build on and move into other areas? Uh, it absolutely is a platform that we can uh, build on and move into other areas. You know, you may know that we actually we have a business deliver, leveraging our platform to deliver other drugs, um, the largest of which is partnered with Am, uh, Amgen to deliver their drug Nulasta. Right. Um, and so it is, you know, definitely a platform that we will build on. And you know, if you zoom way out, um, Omnipod Five is a microcosm of you know what we think the world is going to look like. 20 or 30 years from now of true personalized delivery for a range of drugs in response to biomarkers that are detected via novel sensors and to get therapy just right. Fantastic. That's great. I did not know that, so I'm glad you told me that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would not have asked that question. All right, I think we're going to uh, wrap it up there. Eric Benjamin, thank you for, for joining us. Tom, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Great. In this uh, in this segment, we just kind of wanted, as we noted th throughout, there were things that uh, that didn't necessarily make make news articles, but uh, were were interesting uh, interesting points nonetheless. So, Danielle, why don't you start us off? Uh, any uh, one or two takeaways from panels that you were in or participated in that you want to share with with our listeners? Sure. One of the panels that I sat in on was uh, uh, creating a broader representation for um, in clinical trials. And uh, that was really interesting because, as we know, I'm really into diversity with women mm -hmm. in medtech. But um, the panelists were really were really informative. Dr. Paul Underwood from Boston Scientific and Jennifer Doyle from Medtronic gave interesting tidbits about um, how there needs to be representation from not only all races, but all genders, all like disability awareness, um, sexual orientation, and and just kind of how they're progressing into that. And then the other panel was the one that I moderated, the single-use uh, endoscope panel. You did a great there job. A, thank you. Thank you. Um, had uh, just a really good conversation. They made some good points about reusable scopes that I hadn't taken into consideration before, like the cost that it takes to mm -hmm. clean the reusable scope. So that was probably the one thing that I didn't take into consideration. So it was, it was really informative and I really liked all of the sessions. I wish I could talk about all of them, but 
they were it was really fun yeah, it was, it was a good great. show no, I think you're, yeah the, uh we, that that panel the singing you scan panel uh included dave carey of uh pristine surgical dr kepal gupta of uh of boston scientific he's a senior medical director of uh, medical affairs of endoscopy at boston scientific and and uh, we were pleased to have Wes Scruggs, VP of Corporate Accounts, uh, on the panel as well. He filled in for uh, the original panelist who had fortunately fallen out with a respiratory illness, not COVID, not COVID but uh, couldn't make the trip nonetheless. So it was, uh, no, definitely, as I said in the opening, when I, when I kind of kicked the session off and handed it off to you, it was single scope has been uh, probably one of our, our first more pop, more popular podcasts, and it's been a very popular topic on Device Talks Tuesdays, so uh, certainly delivered at Device Talks Boston as well. So uh, good, good, good picks. Sean, what about you? What are your, what was your takeaway? Yeah, I, I got to sit in on the uh, How Boston Scientific Uses Clinical Feedback to Advance Innovation panel with uh, Megan Scanlon, who I know has been on the podcast, and Jenny Lee. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really uh, an interesting conversation. At one point, uh, Megan Scanlon mentioned how McDonald's uses its bathrooms as a marketing ploy, huh. essentially. Yeah, it was a story. She explained that they're situated in a place that the employees can't see you. So if you're on a road trip, you, you pull in, you, you don't feel the need to buy anything. You know they're clean because they take care of them. And then while you're in there, you think, ah, maybe I'll just get a burger anyway or, or, or a side of fries. And so she... I don't even remember what the question was that, that she had, <laughs> she'd answered, but that blew my mind. But so it was a really uh, interesting conversation. And she talked about product development. Um, she's the senior vice president of urology and pelvic health. And she was talking about uh, sort of how she explained it. Don't etch your hypothesis at the beginning in stone tablets. She said, use a pencil yeah. or an erasable marker, uh, constantly test and validate it. Don't let uh, pursuit of perfection be the enemy of progress, all that. It, it was a really interesting conversation. And I learned a lot about uh, how Boston Scientific goes about product development and, and advancing innovation is the title of the panel. So That's was, great. Now that, that was one of the ones that I was, uh, yeah. had been hoping to sit in on. They uh, never knew that. I, you know what? Actually, I'm not surprised that McDonald's does that with the bathrooms. <laughs> They seem like a. I thought I was sticking it to the man. Now, now I, now I've been manipulated by corporate America once again. That's right. It, it was. I genuinely, I felt like my the top of my head was exploding off when I heard that. <laughs> I, I wonder if everyone else in the room already knew that, or I was the only one. But it was. No. It was quite interesting. We were all duped. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, Chris Newmarker, what were your uh, what was your kind of uh, favorite takeaways? Well, I, I've just got to mention the uh, the panel that I met moderated at the conference, which was the uh, you know pulsed field ablation uh, you know panel. I mean, we had uh, you know we had top executives from you know like uh, from Boston Scientific, Medtronic, and Acutus Medical um, on the, on that panel, and uh, you know it's uh, you know I, I definitely learned something. I mean, I you know it, it I I you know it's it seems like there's just a lot of potential around that technology. You know, especially because it's like a non-thermal method of, of cardiac ablation, you know, that, you know, it can, um, you know, it can, um, you know, affect like that, you know, cardiac muscle tissue is especially susceptible to, but not tissue around. So it can provide a much more targeted therapy. Um, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, the, uh, you know, the honesty of the panelists that as far as figuring out the right recipe for it, I mean, there's a lot of variables around delivering it, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, you know, there's still you know, there's still a lot of research to be done to figure out how to do it exactly right. And, you know, how, you know, how, how effective it could actually be. But, um, 
you know, need to talk about technology that just sounds like it have a lot of, you know, potential and frankly, you know, better treatments for AFib are extremely important, um, not just because of the symptoms that you experience, can, can experience having it, but, you know, there's, there's also the, um, you know, the, you know, the, the higher risk of stroke that you can have from AFib. So, you know, like here's to hoping that this type of technology can, you know, reduce the amount of, uh, you know, strokes we have. That's terrific. And that featured, you know, that featured, you know, Dr. Kenneth Stein, um, you know, who's, uh, you know, a, a CMO at Boston Scientific, uh, Dr. Uh, you know, uh, Khaldun Tarachi, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, from, uh, Medtronic and, uh, Dr. Uh, Stephen Michelson, uh, at uh, Acutus Medical. So, uh, just, yeah, just a really, I mean, some real, you know, real top doctors, top researchers really in that space, you know, people have been far, you know, really furthering cardiac treatments. So, I mean, just, just a real honor to you know, moderate a panel with that kind of, uh, that kind of expertise up there. Yeah, this was definitely one of those uh, discussions that, uh, that was born from the podcast. We had Dr. Stein yeah. and Dr. Mickelson yeah. on the podcast last year and, uh, it was Dr. Stein who initially kind of who had initially suggested having this at uh, at one of our conferences. So uh, great, uh, great to bring sort of those discussions from the podcast to uh, literally to life. So fantastic. Well, my pick goes to the Abbott panel that I had uh, the uh, opportunity to sit in on. It featured uh, Dr. Christina Vanderplume of uh, Boston Children's Hospital. She's a pediatric cardiologist. Chris Cotter, who's a principal engineer at Abbott. Chad Digg, a staff engineer at, at Abbott, and Katie Frazier, who is a staff strategist, special population, global medical affairs at Abbott. And finally, it was moderated by Kevin Bork, vice president of research and development at Abbott. And Kevin actually sat on a panel the next day as well. So we appreciate his doing double duty. But uh, within that conversation, there was a lot of discussion about, about HeartMade, about where it's headed, of course, as the title indicated. But uh, I really found Dr. Vanderplum's comments as to, it would be great to get to a point where she was speaking actually about the opportunity for device companies to create valves for pediatric patients who still need device assistance with their hearts as they get older. And wow. there, there needs to be more devices there. But she was also speaking to, it would be great to someday have the ability for, like you do with, a, with a, an insulin uh, delivery device, to allow users of these these LVADs to control the level of blood flow. So if they're doing something that requires a little more uh, work for the heart, they can kind of tick it up or tick it down. And wow. uh, she had actually talked about a study she was doing with some some young man, some teenager who was, she was walking on a treadmill and was having difficulty. And he asked if she could basically give him a little more juice and she did and it helped. So uh, that would be a great way to go to, to help these people live these folks who are using these devices live more complete lives. And uh, wow. in the conversation I had with Kevin Bork the next day, where I talked with, uh, with heads of R&D at uh, Depew and Medtronic and, uh, and Abbott, it was uh, Tom Gamash from Depew, who's Senior Director of R&D, and Bill Pine, Engineering Director of Surgical Robotics at Medtronic. And when Kevin Bork confirmed that is certainly a, a place they would like to go, uh, kind of create almost a... a, a but a device that allows them to allows patients to really have more control over their LVAD. So exciting stuff, exciting stuff for MedTech. All right, well, this is all great stuff. I hope we, we did the best we could, I think, to get people caught up on what went on. Once again, if you weren't there, you missed, you missed yeah. much, 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 much more. So uh, next year, set aside May 10th and 11th. Uh, make sure you're in Device Talks Boston. Uh, even if you're, not the, there. if you're not in the Boston area, I, I do think, you know, I think I had to, and Amanda De Palma for her comment about missing out, but uh, 
yeah, I think a lot of people missed out. So hopefully this will become a, a national event going forward. That's certainly where we'd like to see it, right? Thanks, everybody, for your uh, work at the conference uh, and before the conference. And uh, look forward to doing this again at a future conference. Now, Tom, congrats on what you've created with this conference. I mean, it's just outstanding. And, you know, I just feel just honored to be to be a part of this. And uh, it's, it's just so, so exciting to have this just, just have this awesome, awesome team. And I'm just, I, I'm just getting so much feedback, you know, that, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're providing, I think we're providing some real value for the, for the industry, like really, really helping people network and stay informed and, you know, hopefully advance innovation, hopefully help people's lives. That's seconded. Oh, very kind. Thank you, guys. I wasn't fishing for that, but I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a wrap. It's great to have Eric Benjamin as a keynote uh, speaker uh, at the uh, Device Talks Boston conference. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with him. I certainly did. Now is the time, folks, when we tell everyone out there how to reach us on social media. Daniel Kirsch, why don't you go first? You can find me on Twitter at Danielle underscore Kirsch, K-I-R-S-H, and same on LinkedIn. Fantastic. And uh, Sean Hooley, what's, uh, where are you out there? On Twitter, I am Sean, S-E-A-N, Hooley, W-H-O-O-L-E-Y, W-T-W-H. Uh, that is my Twitter handle. And then Sean Hooley on LinkedIn. Please connect. And Chris Newmarker, where can folks find you? Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn mostly um, on Twitter a bit at new marker, but uh, always happy to, to, you know, connect and, you know, chat and learn about new things. Fantastic. So. All right. And we have all of our sites, Yes, please. you know, mass device MDO, you know, we got all the device talk stuff we're doing. So you got to like, follow, subscribe. MDO being medical design and outsourcing, of course, and uh, medical I know we gave a, sh- a shout out yes. earlier, but uh, Jim Ham- Hammerin was actually our, our kind of our guy in the command capsule. Didn't quite get on the moon, but That's he right. was up there doing all the important stuff that that made the whole mission a success. So thanks to Jim Hammerin. He had the lights on. He was sipping the cat coffee in the in the module. Yep. You know, like it's nice. You know, and hoping we made it back. <laughs> <laughs> And our farmer editor, Brian Bunce, uh, kept the lights on as well during the yes. week. So uh, thanks, thanks to yes. our, our colleagues. So, all right. Well, I'm uh, on, on Twitter. I'm at MedTechTom on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. Uh, please do share this podcast uh, with your friends. Please do, Chris Newmarker. Get a like, follow, subscribe. That's right. Like, follow, and or subscribe to this podcast. If you've subscribed to this podcast channel, you'll also receive Striker Talks and Intuitive Talks. But make sure you also subscribe to our Medtronic Talks podcast. Uh, all great content for you, all giving you insights on the metal device industry. And all of them basically are, are helping to uh, strengthen our device talks meetings. Uh, that is a wrap. Thank you, folks. For uh, Thank you to everyone who was at Device Talks Boston. Thank you to everyone listening to this podcast. And uh, I hope we'll see you at a, a Device Talks event coming up in the near future. Take care, everybody. Enjoy the summer. 